1: Ah, uh, you are now tuned into anything potable The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through So tell me why you mad even Your team gon' be sad leaving After matching up with Brad Stevens Each season, champion contenders We drop twice a week like you tryna guard Kemba Your team whack and your players whack I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer Okay, we about chips Fast P.P.
2: Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Taylor Fournier. Brown, we off the charts, but you gotta play at market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvey Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> <Aziz>. <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, there Welcome to...
1: Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from, from the athletic. And he's coming live from the car in the cape because it wouldn't be a Brad Stevens offseason without some more breaking news. Brad moves quickly. He trades Kemba Walker before anyone knew you could make trades. And he immediately signs the new head coach of the Boston Celtics, Ime Udoka, the, uh, assistant from the Brooklyn Nets. He was also assistant with the Philadelphia 76ers for a year and then had seven years coaching experience in the Greg Popovich system. Jay, what is your main
2: reaction to the signing of Ime Udoka? From everything people say about him, He's sort of like a badass Brad. He has this a lot of the same values when it comes to basketball, a lot of the same values when it comes to relationship building, a lot of the same values with, you know, team building and everything like that, and, and he's also a guy with NBA playing experience, known as a tough competitor throughout his time in the league and and has that super competitive side just like Brad did but it it wasn't always always shown um it publicly but yeah I, I think he this is a, he's been building for this moment kind of for a long time and if you look at the places he's been first it was greg popovich obviously that's a great dude to learn under for for a number of years and then this this last year too he took the nets defense which really had not much talent at all and i thought by the time the playoffs were were started like that team was a physical defense that team really really played hard and connected on on the defensive end and probably played a, above its its level defensively so i think there's there's some evidence there that that he's probably you know very very good defensive tactician at least
1: it's not surprising to me that Brad would um, hire kind of a defensive focused coach just because that's what Brad is kind of known for when he was a coach. And it feels like that's the key to um, really being a solid team. And uh, it just, that seems to be what Brad values on the defensive end. And that's really what was so surprising about this year is um, how much the defense slipped. And so I think it's good that they're kind of going to return to the fundamentals and get uh get a more defensive minded guy in there, just because I think that's like how you win championships and that's how you're consistent. That's how I think Brad was able to kind of coach less talented teams to overperform is that he always had a defense that was in the top um, five or 10 in the league. And I think that's just like what make what Brad Stevens values as a a good basketball team. The other thing I think is important about this hire is that the Celtics top players, Jalen Brown, um, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. And I think it's interesting that Marcus Smart was included in there as well. Uh, But they all signed off on this uh, hiring because, and they all have experience um, playing for Udoka because he was part of the staff for that 2019 World Championship team, Team USA. And all three of those guys vouched for him. And it was the, it seems like from the reporting that that was the guy that those guys wanted. And I don't know, this is, this is a player's league. Your job as an NBA coach is to get your uh, superstars happy and get them um, playing at the best of their abilities. And I feel like hiring, going out and hiring their guy or the guy that they wanted is just a good sign for um, changing Might might have been bad vibes uh, from last season, kind of changing them and uh, uh, making it positive uh, moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think the, the bad vibes were primarily because, you know, they were 500. Nobody's of the losing, yeah, the losing situation. was, uh... and you know, the for the last, what was it, eight years that Brad was there, the the Celtics had a good coach, and some years I think he was a great coach, a couple years not as great, Um, but you know I, I do think it's important that Tatum and Brown and Smart are on board, and I do think the Celtics really valued those guys' opinion throughout this process and wanted to find someone who could connect with them. Because let's face it, a huge part of Ime Udoka's job will be to build relationships with those guys, make sure that those guys respect him, and bring them to another level, both as individual players and as lifting their teammates up, which I think is the the biggest factor for the Celtics moving forward is that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have to be the type of guys who lift up everyone around them and do it on a consistent basis. And the Celtics, they need to revamp the rest of the roster. They don't have tons of flexibility to do that, obviously. Um, but but this is a quick quick and decisive start from Brad Stevens' first few weeks as president of basketball operations. He, he moved quickly on Kemba, moved quickly on Ime. And, you know, I, I think this has a chance to be a pretty good hire. I think Udoka has a chance to be a, a, a pretty good coach.
1: And I think being young and being a former player is just important where, uh, and if we we see it currently uh, with the final four teams remaining in the playoffs, three out of the four coaches, um, relatively young, former players who it seems like uh, everyone else respects and everyone on the team respects. And then the last guy is coach Bud who um, no one respects and his coaching is uh, highly questionable. So I think it's, it was important to get someone in there who I like, uh, who's young? I thought it was interesting that Yudoka had a chance to kind of continue his playing career, maybe go overseas. Because look, like you look at his basketball reference page, him as a player, really not that impressive. Uh, but he could have continued uh, playing in Europe, but he said, "No, I want to get into coaching," and decided to like go to the best place, the best organization, uh, and start doing that at an early age. And he's still a young guy, um, and so I just think it's like that's we've seen that just work. Uh, around the league where you have um, relatively younger coaches, uh, black coaches who are able to connect with younger black players. I just think that's an important thing and something the Celtics uh, clearly were trying to do. And so I just think uh, when we see what's been successful this year, it's not surprising that the Celtics have kind of followed that model.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it necessarily takes a black man to connect with black players. Like I think it's, I don't think it's a necessary for, for condition, but I think it's e- I think it's easier. I, I'm I'm sure in some ways, um, but it, it it definitely was important to the Celtics to hire a person of color. Um, for a long time now, their front office, especially the the guys at the top of that front office, it's been very white, and and I don't know whether that matters to players, um, but I, I do think it matters to the Celtics to get some more diversity in the building to start bringing in different types of, of voices and, and different types of people. And so that definitely played a factor into the types of candidates that they were looking at. Um, and then I think finding a, a former player and, and, and Udoka's case, like he went through a lot as, as, a, as a player. Like he, he really had to grind his way into the NBA. He really had to grind his way to stay there. And... I think that that those experiences and then seeing guys like Tim Duncan, seeing guys like Manu Ginobili, seeing guys like Tony Parker, just how they approach the game and like all those experiences matter. All those experiences shape a coach. And when you look at the guys he played with, the guys he coached, the guys that he coached under, like there are just a lot of great minds that have kind of impacted him throughout the years.
1: And he was on the staff during that 2014, uh, Spurs team, which is like, I think Brad Stevens will wax poetic about it whenever he can about like the greatest offense ever. I don't know what his, that was his only his second year as an assistant coach. I don't know how much of an impact, uh, he actually had on that team, but it's just a great place to, uh, learn and be into that, like that environment, uh, Uh, and just like take whatever lessons you get from coach Popovich. I think his team USA experience is good. I mean, he has face time with all of these stars and all of these players. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to lend itself like this immediate off season, but I just think it's good that he's clearly was well-respected around the league with um, all the organizations and players where it's like, that's the type of person where if you do want to recruit a third star, uh, having him at the helm will be extremely helpful moving forward.
2: Yeah, it, it could be. Um, that could be the case, but I don't want to give him that much credit yet before he coaches a single game. Like, I don't want to say just because he was a on team USA, like that's a guy that, that everyone's gonna to want to go play for. Let's see, let's see how he develops as as a head coach. I think you know, obviously this, this was one of the most intriguing jobs out there. And the Celtics targeted him, they they wanted him. And I think it shows a lot that that in a year with a lot of coaching vacancies, the Celtics, like they they moved first and, and they got Udoka and he was the guy that they wanted. So we'll we'll see how he does. But they obviously seem pretty confident that Udoka has what it takes to be, you know, a, a pretty good coach. I know this
1: news broke probably like a half hour ago, so you might not have the answers, but you'll definitely have, be more informed than I am. What does this mean for the rest of the coaching staff? Uh, do you think it's likely that Udoka is going to bring in kind of his guys and it'll be up to him to kind of fill out the rest of uh, the coaching staff? Or do you know where that stands moving forward?
2: I'm really not sure. Um, uh, when I have talked to assistant coaches over the past couple of weeks, they just kind of seemed in limbo. Um, they, they're not sure what will come next. When When Brad took over, he did keep some of Doc Rivers' assistant coaches, and I know that there are a number of assistant coaches that the Celtics really value. And obviously, Ud- Udoka will have you know some power to at least to shape his own cha- own staff. Maybe all the power to to shape his own staff, but I'm sure some of those guys that are already on staff will be considered for positions, and and maybe some of them will stay. Um it's, it's an interesting situation because when Doc left, he, he took over a different job and took some assistance with him and some others Brad kept. whereas this time like Brad just went to the GM like he didn't he didn't go anywhere to take his coaches with him. So we'll see how many stay stay on staff. Um, I'm sure part of that will be up to Eme and, and who he connects with on the staff and who also, else he I wants mean, to bring in. I think it'll probably be pretty important considering that he's in his first year to get an a assistant top assistant with a lot of experience. You know, when, when Brad took over, he got Ron Adams um, w- one of the super highly respected assistants who had been around the league forever who had, you know, just, just a ton of experience. And so I think it'll be important to have somebody like that on staff. And obviously, you know, whenever he wants, he'll have Brad upstairs to, 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 bounce ideas off of and everything like that. I think it's going to be
1: interesting to see what happens with, um, Jay Laranega. He obviously was very close to, I think getting the Hornets job, uh, a couple years ago, and maybe he will be interviewed like, although I haven't heard his name as much, um, in kind of all these, uh, this coaching cycle, but he's someone who has kind of more connection with the roster. And, um, I, it's just, he has the potential to be a head coach. It's going to be interesting to see what they, uh, what happens with him. um, what do you think about the fact that Marcus Smart was consulted? Am I reading way too much into the tea leaves that, like, that's indicative of
2: him getting an extension or being, like, with the team long-term? Uh, Probably that would be premature. Um, But, uh, obviously, they do value Marcus Smart. They've considered him one of their core pieces for at least the last few years um, and probably since the time they drafted him. So, yeah, uh, obviously, he's one of the guys – for them, and, and as a, the roster is shaped right now, like it would go, you know, Jalen one, Jason two, and probably Smart three. So, yeah, they they value him.
1: I mean, I'm i it, i don't I don't know how this works with this whole reporting thing, but it's been reported that they consulted with three guys. I don't know why the Celtics would like mention specifically that they talked to Marcus Smart about it if he's not going to be in their future. I feel like Brad Stevens loves Marcus Smart, but maybe I'm just projecting my feelings about Marcus Smart onto Brad Stevens, but Marcus Smart's extension, I think he's extension eligible. So uh, that's a big, like, a big question. Shout out to the guy with the red bag behind you and the whip. Um, and it looks like a police officer, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that he was Uh-oh. mentioned. Uh, Jay God, King God, better God, watch out me. for illegally podcasting right now in his car down on Cape Cod.
0: claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply.
1: Uh, anything else from the Ime Udoka signing um, before we move on to some, uh, some, a little bit of some Celtics nonsense and then uh,
2: get out of here. Yeah, I think uh, one interesting link beyond the, the team USA thing is that he did coach Al Horford in Philadelphia that did not go well and so there's there's that connection too That, that that did not go well but it'll be a totally different situation there won't be Joel Embiid playing center there won't be Ben Simmons not shooting the basketball there won't be you know there will be a lot of shooting and skill around Al and and he'll be playing center I assume most of the time if not all the time so Udoka probably knows how to use him, certainly knows how not to use him after the way things went in Philadelphia. Um but that's another connection that he has like he knows a lot of the Celtics important players pretty well which which I think should help him establish bonds right away. Um and and I'm sure you know I I, I don't know if they valued Horford's opinion since they just picked him <laughs> up, you know, a, a few days ago. Um, but you know that he does have relationships with, with a lot of those guys and they all respect him.
1: I like that he was in Philadelphia for that, uh, Horford and Bede season. Cause he should know that a too big lineup would not work. Cause Brad Stevens mentioned the idea in his last press conference of playing Al Horford and Tristan Thompson together. And I think you put it very eloquently in your article, uh, writing about that possibility. I think the question was, will these lineups work? And the answer was no, period. It was just very uh, – I thought that was a uh, guy straight to the point. I don't think – I don't like the idea of Horford and Thompson playing together. Um, maybe it's uh, something you do out of necessity of the current roster construction, but that's uh, going to be Udoka's decision right now. Uh, and maybe his – in seeing that Al Horford at power forward uh, was not the greatest, uh, maybe he'll avoid that move uh, as the Celtics progress next year.
2: And I think there might be some – Sometimes to use that, like if you're playing Giannis and the Bucks, then it could be pretty useful to have Al Horford on Giannis while Robert Williams is helping off Brooke Lopez and, and providing that layer of rim protection against Giannis. So I, I think there are some some matchups where that could work, and I think Horford is definitely better suited to play the four than Daniel Tice was this past season because he's more skilled, because he's a better playmaker, because he's a more willing shooter, all of the above. Um, so I, I don't think it will work a lot of the time. I think Al Horford is pretty much a center at this stage of his career, but I won't be surprised if there are certain scenarios where they lean on that and, and it could be helpful. I think the, the final
1: question that we have to ask is, does Brad Stevens just value um, handsomeness? I mean his first two moves were to bring in Al Horford and Ime Odoka. Two very handsome men. Though I, go
2: I knew you'd go there.
1: It's literally my personal brand. Uh, but the team got a lot better looking in the first two moves. I'm just I'm, I'm not complaining about it. Also, you have to give Ime Odoka a lot of just credit and respect because he's dating uh Nia Long and uh she's also wife. quite they're attractive.
2: Not just, they're not just dating not man. just
1: dating. It's his wife. Uh, so, that respect to Ime for uh, his coaching career and his uh, career off the court. Now, um, before we go, there has been some um, Celtics nonsense. I didn't tell Jay that we were going to talk about this, but did you see the report that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum don't like each other and that somehow is going to. It impact was not the a team?
2: report that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum don't like each other. Was the report? Set me straight. It was here. a report that they just aren't best friends but do like each other. Which is known by everyone. Yeah, that was from Jeff Goodman, right? I saw, I saw the clip. I just saw the tweet from Wei where it's like these guys hate each other. No, no, it's it's not at all. That's that wasn't at all what Goodman was saying. He was saying they like each other. They're just not best friends, which I think everybody kind of knew from the beginning. Like that, that's not news that they're not like best best friends, but they definitely get along from what I know and certainly I think can be very complementary to each other on the court, um, especially if they have the right pieces around them. So I don't think there are any issues there.
1: So did I just play the role of guy trying to make a, a big story out of nothing? Was I the Weei in this scenario?
2: Yeah, you you took the W.E.I. tweet to another level. You So you W.E.I.'d W.E.I. I
1: did get F-E-I. my start in this business working for –
2: W-E-E-I.
1: The other story, more other nonsense that um, I wanted to say was that Chris Mannix, I actually read this story, reported that the Wizards were very upset with the Celtics for maybe giving them COVID and said the uh, Celtics flaunted COVID protocols and would routinely go out last year, um, which is something I think Kevin O'Connor also talked about when uh, Tristan Thompson came after him. Uh, early in the year, I thought that was going to unite the team. Uh, it did for about two weeks, but it did not. Uh, I don't know, any reaction to Manix reporting that the Wizards were uh, upset with the Celtics for giving them COVID? Uh
2: I am not going to really. I have no real reaction to that. Like,
1: I love this game of putting Jay it, on the spot. It was, for, it was uh, a. It was a pandemic.
2: That situation will never happen again. So. I don't think that should really be too concerning moving forward would be my reaction to that.
1: Jay does not dabble in uh, the rumor mill. He does not dabble in salacious uh, stories. He's a, he's pure facts and that's why he is the Celtics beat reporter from the athletic. And that's why I am the professional sports fan. Uh, that's all I have to say about the topic, Jay. Is there anything else you want to say? The draft lottery, have any hot takes about the draft lottery or the Eastern and Western Conference Finals?
2: I will enjoy reading James Edwards' work on Cade Cunningham. I I I, I kind of felt like the Raptors deserved to jump to number one. I, I know you weren't a big Raptors jumping to the top of the lottery guy, but they had to play in Tampa Bay. They had to play away from home for an entire year. They basically all got COVID at the same time. And so they didn't trade Kyle Lowry when they could have. They, they held on to their franchise star. I just felt like their jump into the top four was – that was kind of basketball gods type stuff to me, if you ask me. And having Fred VanVleet on the roster Fred van Vliet there my guy Fred van Vliet there was no doubt <laughs> he was gonna bring I mean, home a a top four pick
1: I definitely don't think they should have got number one they're still a very talented team and it's kind of messed up when a playoff team basically gets the number one pick they're going to get a very good player it kind of worked out perfectly for them I'll they I'm, they I'll, I'll agree with you the basketball gods kind of handed them a real raw deal by making them play in Tampa for the entire year and so uh, if no one, there's no one who deserves to go up or down, but, uh, I just didn't like seeing it because the Raptors are good and I don't like seeing them get better. But, in, uh, from that perspective, yeah, I think they had a horrible year last year and it's going to be interesting, uh, to see if they can just jump back to, um, kind of playoff contention. Cause they were right there game seven with the Celtics, their roster really didn't change much other than losing Serge Ibaka. If they can add, um, kind of an impact player uh i think they're still going to be i mean obviously they don't have the star talent to be in the top team in the east but i definitely think they're a playoff team next year uh i thought that was uh probably the most interesting part of the draft lottery um other than uh yeah i don't i I, nothing else really like stood out to me um from that other than the thunder not getting
2: like a crazy amount of picks like i think the thunder because they beat the celtics they should never have beaten the Celtics. That was such a bad decision to beat the Celtics. Just it's all Moses Browns. It all fault. came back to kick him in the ass. They would have gotten the number one pick, right? Like if they had lost one more game, they would have been second in odds and they would have had the piston spot and they would have had the number one pick. They blew it. The Celtics blew it for the Thunder. It's going to be wild. Well, basically they're going to tank again next year and
1: they have a bunch of, a bunch of first round picks again. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Kemba Walker. But, uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, kind of wild for, you think the, the, uh, Thunder are destined to get a, kind of get a top pick with all their, uh, swings at it this year. And now they, uh, we'll see if they trade up. I don't think anyone's, I don't, it seems like the Pistons are going to draft Cade and I just don't know the rest of, uh, the draft class that, uh, well enough, but, um, the only other thing I have to say is that Jay Crowder,
2: hell of an inbound pass. I mean, Incredible that Incredible is- inbounds pass. That one angle they showed from right behind his shoulder where you could see how close it was to the backboard. I didn't even know the rule that you could just offensive goaltend on an inbounds pass. Where? Why have teams not utilized this before? I just... I don't understand it. The Suns like, did three years the Celtics ago. Every inbounds pass should just throw it right above the rim and just have Robert Williams just fly and get a dunk. Tell me tell me why that shouldn't be in Ime Udoka's playbook. Tell me why that shouldn't be the only play in Ime Udoka's playbook. I've got no reason for you. If it's not
1: an automatic dunk, it's going to be a foul. Like If you just have Jason Tatum stand a sideline out of bounds and basically take a shot, and get it as close to the rim as possible. All Robert Williams has to do is touch it and guide it in. That should be one of the easiest plays in basketball. And so uh frankly, I think you're absolutely right. That should be a next sideline out of bounds play. Uh what, what what a wild game that was, where
2: the Suns shouldn't have had an opportunity. Man, those two missed free throws, yikes.
1: But they shouldn't even have so well well shouldn't have been on the line. That was re- one of the worst out-of-bounds calls I've seen uh, ever. With the fact that they reviewed that. Clearly, the spirit of the law, like the rule is Pat Beverly knocked that out of his hands. And to review that and be like, oh, he, Pat Beverly touched it, but it, it still remained grazed on Devin Booker's hands. And thus to reward the turnover, that was absolutely insane. And that was the biggest ball yeah, don't lie. I, free throws I hate ever. that.
2: I hate that. I know it's a polarizing take because, like, technically that was off the Suns. But you, that happens every play, every game game like the amount of times you could overturn that and say it's off the other team during during the course of a game is just way too many so i think they should look at that and and there should be some sort of rule that if the ball sticks on your hand for like 0.00001 seconds then it it just doesn't count as no one watching that
1: live or you should not be able to review it in slow motion like no one watching that live would have thought oh that is uh, Clippers basketball. That's like clearly Pat Beverly got the touch and knocked it out of bounds. Like that is a basketball play that happens all the time. And every single time, a thousand times out of a thousand, that should be remain with the Suns basketball.
2: And, and Pat Bev's, his, his commitment to calling for replays is, is probably <laughs> unmatched. The guy, the guy would call for a replay no matter the situation. Doesn't even really have to be a close call, although obviously that one was. He'll just call for a replay and and demand demand that the refs hear him out. There were way too many freaking replays in that game. It might have
1: it might have hurt the Clippers in the end because that replay with the point nine seconds left gave Monty Williams the time to draw up that uh that play. If they just kind of called it, I don't think they had any timeouts left. I don't know if the Jay Crowder throws the m- most amazing inbound pass in the world. Uh, just on the fly, he needs some time to kind it- of cool his jets. Get a Facetime from Chris Paul. Chris Paul will tell him throw him in the hoop, and his tremendous leadership will kind of propel the Suns forward. Without Pat Bev saying review it, maybe none of that ever happens.
2: It takes guts to throw that pass by Jay Crowder. Like that was such a tough angle to throw that alley oop. It had to be perfect. It really did. It was, and it was. It was an absolute perfect pass. It reminded me of Gerald Wallace. Remember. When Gerald Wallace was with the Celtics and just had a string of, like, awesome inbounds passes, and he was always the guy, and I think Steven said basically, like, we have him as an inbound passer because he has the guts to, to make those passes, and you got to have the guts. Jay Crowder has them. Jay Crowder, his teams always seem to do more winning than people expect. That's Jay
1: Crowder. I mean, uh, Jared Wallace passed it down to Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder did uh, threw a ball full length of the court into the hoop against, when the Celtics played the Pacers a couple years ago. He clearly has the juice. He clearly uh, impacts winning, uh, and he's been doing it his entire career. So I'm, I'm always going to be a Jay Crowder fan, mostly because uh, he granted me in an interview one time. A one, the only one-on-one interview I've ever done uh, was with Jay Crowder. So Big uh, moment
2: for Jam the Journalist
1: that was my that was the peak of my journalistic career. Um thank everyone who's been on the YouTube live stream. Thanks everyone for listening on the podcast.
2: Hold um, on, hold on, hold on. We we got to talk about your pickup run the other day when you had allegedly eight straight wins. Oh, we were glorious.
1: I almost got I didn't get I almost didn't get picked up and like the I saw the guy who had next and I saw one of his last his five go uh like left for some reason. I was like I know you need a fifth guy. And he's like, are you going to play fucking defense? And I said, that's all I got baby. And we ran that. We like ran teams off the court. Everyone else. It was not me. I played a great weak side help defense. That's all I did. I started the break, but we had two track stars who were just running and it was pick up in this uh, summertime. People are not running. So if you get like two guys on your team, who are just willing to bust their ass on the fast break. Every single time we got so many fast break buckets. That's all I did was like deflect the ball and start the break. And it felt good compared to to win eight in a row. Great feeling. Last week I got kicked in the nuts and had game uh, basically yammed on me. And the, just the contrast of those two feelings was uh, amazing. So uh, if anyone wants to play, starting at five, Ringer Park in Austin, come out, um, have me on your team. I will. If I'm the least talented player on the team. That's successful. That's the best. That's the ideal situation for me. I want to be the glue guy who's not relied on to do anything on the offensive end.
2: There you go. Mr. Glue guy.
1: That, that, that's what they call me. Actually, uh, no one bothered to learn my name. They just called me Green. So uh, ask around Green. that That's the guy that you want on your team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay, before we go, I just have one question to ask you. Uh, is Neil Long potable?
2: Yeah, I mean, you bought it. The
1: I didn't have one for the end of that one. <laughs> I had to make it up.